And uh, last week, Don gave us the introduction to that. I'm going to do uh, a real quick recap, not in any, uh, not really pointing out anything in particular, just reminding us where we came from to get to this, uh, this particular chapter and these verses. Uh, in Exodus 1, uh, verse 7, we have in the, Children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied, waxed exceedingly mighty. The land was filled with them. The parents of Moses were both of the house of Levi. We'll see in Exodus 6.20 that their name was Amram and Jochebed. In Exodus uh, 1.8-11, afraid of their growing presence, the, the Egyptians oppressed the Israelites. In 12 to 14, Israel prospers and grows despite the hard bondage of the Egyptians. In 117, the midwives bravely obey God rather than men. Uh, I've been reading ahead. I'm sure a lot of you have been reading ahead. And uh, this is an exciting... You've been reading ahead? No. Can we pray for uh, Jennifer Cochran? Okay. A number of... What's she having? She's having seizures after her heart surgery. Okay, let's do that. A lot of emails and texts going out. Right, right. Uh, Jennifer uh, has had a lot of medical problems over the years, not something that just propped up. And she had a surgery that lasted like four hours. Heart valve surgery. Heart valve, and she's having a hard time. Last I heard, she was having a very difficult time coming out of anesthesia. Uh, So let's pray for Jennifer. Lord, I lift up Jennifer and I lift up her husband. Andrew as well, Lord, that you bless them in this trial. I pray for uh, Jennifer to uh, to cease uh, with the seizures, Lord, to come out of her uh, uh, to come out of her uh, uh, anesthesia, Lord, and, and uh, that her mind would clear and that her body would heal. That you bless the doctors to give her the best of care with wisdom, Lord, and I pray that you you bless Andrew to be brave at this time, give him courage, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. We know that you're the great healer and there's none other. And we pray that in Jesus' name. And I was also supposed to mention, you guys, don't park in the parking lot. Okay? Don't park in the parking lot. We'd like to leave that open for the ladies. The only way you can park in the parking lot is bring your wife. Then... Does anybody know what happened to Ernie? No. No, I don't know what happened to Ernie. Okay, so here we go. Uh, Moses was born with a dense death sentence over his head, but he was born of believing parents. Uh, this is significant. Jewish legend, this is good. Jewish legends say that Moses' birth was painless to his mother, that his, at birth his face was so beautiful that the room was filled with light, equal to the sun and moon combined, that he walked and spoke when he was a day old, that he refused to nurse, (laughs) eating solid food from birth. Notice this isn't found anywhere in Scripture, but but it sounds good. It sounds good. And looking a bit closer, what we do see is that Moses was a flawed man, just like us. Uh, Sometimes we suppose, I think, that the people that we read about in the Bible are superhuman. Uh, But on closer examination, what usually turns out uh, that's not the case. 
very normal people are called on in the Bible. And it's God equipping them to do his work that makes it the way it is. Uh, going on, the Egyptians and Pharaoh were uh, afraid of their slaves. The, uh, they said, look, the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them. And although Moses was sentenced to die, his parents disobeyed the law and hid their son for three months. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and were not afraid of the king's command. Notice the word faith. Notice Moses' parents did not do what they had been instructed to do. The beauty of their child, the love they had for him, their faith in God, would not allow them to kill their son. Uh, Nor the midwives, but the midwives feared God, a lesson we should all learn from, I think. Uh, Therefore, God dealt well with the midwives. Even if the midwives deceived Pharaoh, uh, that was not what God blessed. What he blessed was their godly bravery in in putting God before man. And that's something we all got to do, especially in this day and age. We're, uh, We're under the gun. We're definitely under the gun in this day and age. Uh, and what this ended up doing though this ended up broadening the the Pharaoh's decree he said uh, the Pharaoh commanded all his people saying every son who was born shall cast into the river and every daughter you shall save alive there are times when doing what's right is contrary to the law or social mores Uh, the Christians in Iran or in China Uh, Our example of believers serving God in the face of brutal opposition from the governments. Pharaoh ordered abortion, which is wrong in the eyes of God at any time. Actually, it would be more like murder, uh, which abortion is. Uh, And that's wrong at any time, obviously, in the present age. Uh, We're faced with an election at this point in time where one of the candidates uh, supports almost full-term abortion. The faith of Moses' mother is a great example of trusting the child's welfare of the future to God alone. When Moses' mother let go of that ark, made a bull rush, she was giving up something precious, uh, trusting that God would take care of it and perhaps find a way to give it back to her. In chapter 2, just picking it up at verse 5, Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and her maidens walked alongside the riverside, and when She saw the ark among the reeds. She sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister, who was watching, remember, said to the Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. Last week, Don pointed out, and I loved it, uh, uh, not only was Moses' mom reunited with him, uh, but uh, she was paid to nurse her son. I think a lot of women would love that. Uh, But I thought it was even funnier that Don didn't mention was... uh, she was paid with Pharaoh's money. I loved it. Pharaoh's the one that put the death sentence out on Moses, and now he's paying the nurse. That was great. 
So the woman took the child and nursed him, and the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, saying, Because I drew him out of the water. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks and praise for your word. And as you prepared Moses, Lord, we pray you prepare us. Grow us, Lord. Grow us and and give us courage. Give us strength. Give us endurance uh, to live the lives we ought to be living, Lord. In this present age, Lord, which is so filled with turmoil and, and, and distractions, Lord, of every kind, some so sinful, Lord, we ask you to watch over us and keep us pointed in the right direction. I thank you, Jesus, for these men, and I thank you, Lord, for your word that's taught us so much already. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so here we are in tonight's study, verse 11, chapter 2, verse 11. Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that, that way. And when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting. And he said to the one who did the wrong, Why are you striking your companion? Then he said, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? So Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters. And they came and drew water. And they filled the troughs to water the father's flock. Then the shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. When they came to Ruel, their father, he said, How is it that you have come so soon today? And they said, An Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherds. And he also drew enough water for us and watered the flock. So he said to his daughters, And where is he? Why is it that you have left the man? Call him, that he may eat bread. Then Moses was content to live with the man, and he gave Zipporah, his daughter, to Moses, and she bore him a son. He called his name Gershom, for he said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land. Now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. Then the children of Israel groaned, because of their bondage, and they cried out. And their cry came up to God because of the bondage. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God acknowledged them. My parents uh, were both born in New York City, but as very small children, Uh, They were taken to Sicily, and they were raised there. Uh, My grandparents uh, were from a small town in Sicily named Vita, and thus my parents had two citizenships. Uh, They were citizens of both Italy and the United States of America uh, because of their American birth and because of the heritage of their mom and dad. Moses was a Hebrew, but raised in the royal courts of Egypt. He, too, like, had two... uh, uh, Two citizenships, in a way. Uh, about Moses, Guzik, David Guzik, 
writes, Certainly he was raised with both the science and learning of Egypt. Acts 22 says Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptian and was mighty in words and deeds. Egypt was one of the most academic and scientific societies on the earth at that time. It is reasonable to think that Moses was instructed in geography, history, grammar, writing, literature, philosophy, and music. But we must remember that he was nursed by his birth mother. And I would suppose that her influence would continue until after he was weaned, and maybe beyond that. Uh, it's not much of a stretch to conclude that Moses carried both the mantle of an Egyptian prince and the heart of a Hebrew. Uh, <laughs> it could be confusing. It could be confusing for Moses, maybe, because the influence of the Egyptians would have been strong in it. I worked with a guy, a guy named Henry. Henry was uh, Jewish and Mexican. <laughs> he said he said he was very confused growing up. <laughs> he said he didn't know if he should steal it or buy it wholesale. You know? <laughs> That's great. It's true. So then, uh, the first forty years of Moses' life are remarkable when we consider the ministry that God was going to give him. I mean, there was something up ahead of Moses that he couldn't, for a second, have guessed at what God was preparing him for. And I've always marvelled at Moses. I really have. Before I did this study, uh, I would just go. This guy's. How did he end up like he ended up? Uh, uh, he meets with God and receives the, the Ten Commandments twice. He leads an unruly and stiff-necked people who are tough as nails. They are too. Uh, through the most difficult situations, uh, trusting and representing God while literally acting as a governor over a moving nation. Here you've got a huge body of people going this way and that, and there's problems. I mean, you know, I can hardly, you know, when I, when I had all five of my grandkids around me, it was hard to get five kids in the car and take off and go someplace. Imagine a nation trying to move a nation around. Uh, but uh, you've got to remember, God doesn't throw us in the river before he teaches us how to swim, uh, whether you think you can or not. Moses was prepared for one of the most, maybe the most difficult, uh, difficult jobs in the Bible. Uh, he led the Jews out of Egypt, into and out of the wilderness, and into the promised land for 40 years. Now, uh, along the way, there was what? Hardship, there was the rebellion of Korah, uh, difficulties beyond measure. But Moses was ready. And to me, it served as a reminder uh, that in our trials and difficulties which the Lord allows in our lives, God's preparing us for what lies ahead in our lives. He's getting us ready. Uh, my confidence isn't in me. Uh, my confidence is that God won't ever put me in a position that I can't win. Uh, he's always going to provide that way of escape. And he prepared Moses. If you'd have said, Moses, you're going to lead millions of people out of this land, you know, he'd say, you're nuts. One of the things I liked about Moses, he argued with God. He did. We'll see that later on as we go through this study. But the old expression, that which does not kill us makes us stronger, seems to apply. It's true. At this time in Egypt, uh, in history, Egypt was a superpower. Advanced the arts, sciences, general academia. Uh, Egypt was as good as it gets. 
Uh, there are no coincidences, right? None of us believe in coincidences. But let's look at this extraordinary set of coincidences. Uh, because there was a perceived, they were perceived as a threat, Pharaoh decreed all the Hebrew male children should be killed. Moses, a beautiful child, was hidden by his parents for three months. When he was placed in the ark at three months old, passed through the early days of his infancy, was strong enough to survive. All the persons that could have found him, of all the persons that could have found him, he was found by the Pharaoh's daughter. Of all the people that, I mean, now the, the river, it wasn't like, uh, the river was probably more like Santa Monica than it was, uh, you know, it wasn't a deserted river where the, you know, the maidens were walking about, you know. No, this is, you know, it was commerce. There was a lot going on at that river. But of all the people that could have found Moses, he was found by Pharaoh's daughter. And on top of that, when he cried, she was compassionate. She was compassionate to him. Uh, and how important is that one small fact? If she had the heart and mind of her dad, if she had the heart and mind of her dad, there would have never been a Moses. She would have dunked him. You know that. Uh, and she, you got to notice too, not only were Moses' parents disobedient, the midwives are disobedient, now his own daughter's disobedient to the Pharaoh. You know, she's going to keep him. And of all the women that she'd have called to, to nurse him, uh, it was perfectly orchestrated for Moses' mom to, to nurse him. And not only would there be the love of a mother, which can't be duplicated, they can't, it just absolutely cannot be duplicated. Not only was there the love of a mother, uh, there was the fact that she was a Hebrew. She was of the house of Levi. She was a, a godly woman. And she put into her son something that he wasn't going to get in the royal courts of Egypt. Uh, notice his sister stood afar off to see what would be done to him, as the scripture says. And that created the situation that put his mother. You could say, what a lucky little boy, you know. But it's obvious God was in this right from the get-go. The result is that the man who God would choose to lead his chosen people out of Egypt would be a highly educated, battle-tested man of compassion with a love for his people. What a coincidence. Now, as we proceed with chapter 2, we get a better look at Moses uh, as he begins this post-Egyptian life. Uh, and he'll get even further training, though you would think at this point in time that he's already pretty well set up. Verse 11, Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens and saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So we're specifically told here that Moses was a grown man, well past the babe in the ark. Uh, in Acts uh, 7.23, we learn that Moses was 40 years old. Uh, the meaning of the number 40, uh, it's a number that generally symbolizes a period of testing, trial, or probation. And during here's just a partial recollection of some of the times 40 comes up with Moses. Uh, during Moses' life, he lived 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in the desert uh, with, uh, with Ruel, Jethro, before God selected him to lead his people out of slavery. 40-year journey when he led them out of slavery. He was on Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights, and on t that was on two occasions to receive God's laws. He sent spies for 40 days to inve uh, investigate the land that God 
had offered him. So the number 40 comes up a lot. Uh, we read also that the ancient Jewish historian Josephus says Moses was heir to the uh, throne of Egypt. And while a young man, Moses led the armies of Egypt in victorious battle against the Ethiopians. Uh, David Guzik also speculates that he was being groomed to be the next pharaoh. But because of his mother now, because of being weaned or nursed by his mother all the way to the time she weaned him and probably beyond, he also had a heart for the Hebrew people. So this man was a very unique individual. And the education that he got, I mean, this, this man went to Stanford. You know, he went to the highest education that the world offered at the time, and he was treated as a prince. Uh, still, the question might arise, where was Moses' heart? Does he consider himself uh, an Egyptian or a Hebrew? Uh, the situation that he finds himself here in verse 11 provides the question. We get the answer in verse 12, okay? Uh, still, got to say, Moses lived in the royal courts, uh, yet he was moved to go out to his brethren and look at their burdens. So he left his comfort zone. Uh, I personally wish I was better at leaving my comfort zone. I <laughs> One time, one time, I can't remember what the situation was, but I sure remember this. Uh, I was telling Luis about Luis Rojevec there. I was telling him, God, they, they're going to have me do this and that. And, and he gives me this big smile and he says, he says, isn't it cool when God stretches you? You know, and I, I, I didn't think it was so cool at the time, <laughs> you know. Uh, but still, uh, in verse 12 now, he looked this way and that when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. Uh, Acts uh, chapter 7, verse 23 through 25 shows us exactly where Moses' heart was at. Now when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart, it says, to visit his brethren, children of Israel, and seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged he who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. First thing you got to notice, I mean, this kind of set me back a little bit. It was hard for me to, to really get a handle on this. This is a premeditated act. You know, this isn't, a, uh, this isn't like just a crime of passion, exactly. Uh, it was not impulsive. The fact that he, he looked this way and that. You know, he was trying to figure out what was going on. Is anybody watching? You know, uh, he knew what he was going to do. And he didn't want to get caught. He didn't want to get caught. Thinking uh, he would not be found out, he proceeded. When he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. And furthermore, he covered his tracks when he hit him in the sand. Hit him in the sand is a really nice way to say he buried him. You know, that's what he did. He buried the guy. He killed him and then he buried him. Uh, it seemed to me a real inauspicious start for the leader of the Hebrew nation. You know, not exactly, you know, where you would think he would start with. You got to take all things into, into account. You got to try to uh, read something into this. And it's, to me, motives what divine, defines our action. Motives. Uh, why do we serve God? Why do we serve God? Uh, 
Those of you who serve in various ministries, do you examine your hearts? Do you examine your hearts? I do. I have to. Why do I love to lead worship? You know, is it about me or is it about the Lord? I've got to really be careful with this. I really have to be careful with this. I can play perfectly, but if my heart's not right, it doesn't matter at all. Uh, I love to play and sing songs to the Lord, but where's my heart at? Here's my own barometer. If I really blow it while I'm playing and I become supremely embarrassed, I'm in it too much. I'm in it too much. I mean, I don't want to ignore the mistake, but at the same time, am I embarrassed because I made a mistake in front of you guys? Or do I just say, hey, you know, I'm not perfect, you know? Uh, So all of us have to consider this in our Christian walk. Where's our hearts at? Where are our hearts at? Uh, and you got you got to check yourself all the time. It's not something you do just uh, you know. It's not like once a year, not Valentine's Day. Uh, like if someone was attacking my wife, what would my response be? Uh, if someone was attacking someone you love, what would your response be? I personally would be all in it, uh, and I would not be too mer- uh, worried about how much harm I might do the attacker. I would fail the politically correct test for sure. Uh, But I would probably ace the righteous anger test, you know. Uh, I can't defend Moses' actions. I know that he was royalty and that he was a warrior, uh, predisposed to taking charge. He was a man of action. Uh, Still, does this excuse his actions? It's interesting. Scripture uh, doesn't tell us that he was excused. Uh, I did notice also that Scripture also didn't condemn him. I found nothing condemning Moses. Uh, I did a ton of bad stuff in my B.C. days. Uh, They're as far away from me now as the east is to the west. Uh, This might be looked at as Moses' B.G. days before God. Uh, Still, Moses acted... On behalf of his brethren, took on a leadership role, thinking they would understand, maybe even appreciating what he had done. He was wrong. Acts 7.25 says, For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand. But they did not understand. They didn't get it. Then he went on, uh, went out a second day. Behold, uh, verse 13, uh, Two Hebrew men were fighting, and he said to the one who did the wrong, Why are you striking your companion? This is interesting. The Targum of Jonathan says, The two persons who strove were Dathan and Abiram. Uh, The Targum, it turns out, is the spoken paraphrases of Scripture that the Jews, the Jewish rabbis used to teach people in common language. So we know who these guys were. But isn't it odd that when... uh, when we're oppressed, how, how often people come against each other? Uh, you wouldn't think that they would be contending with each other because the Egyptians were all over them like a cheap suit. You know, they had a, they had a bad road to road. You know, I mean, things kept getting worse and worse and worse with the Egyptians. Egyptians were, were afraid of them. Uh, but uh, here they are going at it with each other. I've seen this in the workplace where a job's gone to hell in a handbasket and... Everybody turns on each other. 
Everybody starts arguing about how to fix it, and everybody gets mad. And, and it puts you as far away from getting anything done as you're ever going to be. Uh, once again, Moses intervene, intervenes. Uh, he, 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 he's empathetic. He's compassionate. But uh, he, gets, he gets rebuke. He gets rebuke is what happens. This is the second day visiting his people. And I, indic- I think this indicates he has a heart for him. He does have a heart for him. Uh, then he uh, said, verse 14, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you kill the Egyptian? So Moses feared and should, said, Surely this thing is known. Rude awakening. Uh, rather than being looked at as a hero, Moses is called to task. In the workplace, I've said it, <laughs> I've had it said to me, and I've heard I've said it to others. Who died and left you in charge? You know, have you ever heard that? Moses' uh, rude awakening. Surely this thing is known. It's got to be similar to how I felt when I was drunk and well over the speed limit. The red lights came on the rearview mirror. Uh, there's that feeling of like I'm caught, and you know you're caught. And when you know you're caught, is there's something comes over you. You know, it's, it's a whole different thing. Don pointed this out last week, but I think it would be well to uh, repeat these. Uh, both Moses and Jesus were favored by God from birth, miraculously preserved in childhood, mighty in words and deed, offered deliverance to Israel, rejected with spite, rejected to the uh, in their right to be a ruler and judge over Israel. And just like Jesus, Moses could not deliver when he lived in the palaces of glory. He had to come down off the throne, away from his palace, and into a humble place before he could deliver his people. I thought that was great. I had to, I had to repeat that. Uh, so in, in the next verse, we see Moses leaving behind the royal courts. This is it. He's, it's over. In uh, verse 15, when Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Midian is located southeast of Egypt on the Gulf of Agaba, off the Red Sea. It's east of the Arabian Desert. The Midianites were descendants of Midian, who was the son of Abraham. And this is the turning point in Moses' life. Up until now, he's had a pretty easy existence. But the heart that he had for the Hebrew people, going out to visit his brethren, acting on their behalf, uh, has, uh, has brought him to this particular spot right here. Uh, he was correct in his supposition that the murder of the Egyptian taskmaster had been found out. He was right. Uh, the Pharaoh's reaction was to order the death of Moses, second death sentence in his life. He was born with a death sentence, and now at the age of 40, he's under another death sentence. And his actions have left him alienated from his people. Who made you a prince and a judge over us, was what he heard. And now his position in the royal court was terminated. Uh, he had to get out of Dodge, uh, Egypt. <laughs> He fled to Midian. He sat down by a well. And this also is another new beginning for Moses. He's led a privileged life. He's been a prince. Uh, 
He was a man of letters and position, highly placed in the royal court. Uh, we must consider during this time that God has been preparing Moses. Moses may not have had any idea what was to come, the enormity of it, but God certainly did. He was uh, preparing Moses for an assignment of, uh, may I say it, biblical proportions. Uh, but God was not through. Moses, Moses was Egyptian royalty, but God is not impressed by royal credentials. As we go on to verse 17, God will further prepare Moses to become the leader of the nation of Israel. God was not done with, with Moses. i got to suppose that God is not done with us either. You know. Now the priest, priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water, and they filled the troughs to water their father's flock. How spoiled are we? A drink of water? Turn on the faucet. Right? Water the flocks? Draw water? Drop a rope into the ground, pull the water up one bucket at a time. Uh, you wouldn't even need Daryl. You know? <laughs> uh, one gallon of water weighs about 8.3 pounds. Uh, a camel can drink 20 to 30 gallons of water every five days. Uh, how about the flock? I don't know how big the flock was or how much sheep might drink, but this wasn't easy work. 20 gallons of water weighs 166 pounds. Uh, here's a note regarding the well for you single guys. Three Torah giants found their spouses at, at a well, Isaac, Jacob, and now Moses. So you single guys, if you're looking for a wife, head for the nearest well. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not one. Exactly. Adam's right. Adam's right. He's drinking a lot of smart water at the retreat. You know, he had me gone too. I was trying to keep up with him. All I did was pee a lot. <laughs> Verse 17, Then the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. Water was a precious commodity. It still is. still is. The shepherds are not specifically identified, but they are specifically contentious about the water. Once again, Moses intervenes. How often do we see situations that we might be able to help out but don't want to get involved? Moses doesn't seem to have that problem. Have you noticed? Uh, he gets involved. How about us? You guys remember the story? Ignored by a priest and a Levite? Only the Samaritans stopped to help the wounded and beaten man on the road. You know, so a lot of Christians will walk by something. Uh, they don't want to get involved. In my BC days, in my BC days, I was driving home on Christmas Eve, and uh, there was an ice cream truck stopped in the middle of the street. A Harley was on its side, and this big, crazy-looking one percenter was stumping around trying to get after the ice cream truck driver. I stopped and looked at him and said, You guys all right? The ice cream truck driver says, you can take care of them. And he took off. And, and so the, 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 the Harley guy, the biker says, bro, you got to help me out. He goes, I just got out of jail this morning for drunk driving. You know, and he could hardly stand up. He was so drunk. And he had been foot pegged from his knee to his ankle. And he was bleeding like crazy. And I had this nice new little Honda, right? I might add that I was wearing this stage outfit. I had this 
baby blue outfit on with rhinestones, you know, rhinestones down, you know. I had some pictures taken, so I was dressed up all, and and I didn't want to take him because he was bleeding so bad. Can you believe it on Christmas Eve? I mean, I wasn't a Christian, but still, I, I finally was convicted, and I put him in my car, and I drove him home. First, we had to, he wouldn't leave until we got his bike hidden. We had to put the bike in a bush someplace, and, and I said, man, is it? he said, I'll send a brother down for it. I said, is that thing going to run? And he said, oh, it's a Harley. He said, throw a Harley at a wall at 50 miles an hour. He goes, you got a dead rider and a Harley that his brother can pick up. <laughs> I said, okay. So I took, him, I took him home. When I got up to his house, he lived up in Tahanga. I lived up there too. So when I got up to his house, there had to be at least 50 Harleys parked all over the lawn and everything. So this guy can't walk, so I put his arm around my shoulder and I drag him in the house. And there's everybody's got a Bowie knife that looked like a samurai sword on their on their side, and they're all with hair down their hair and wearing their slicks, and they got uh, motorcycle chain belts on. And I come dragging this guy in, and I, I'm clean shaven with my baby blue outfit, you know. <laughs> With the rhinestones, cowboy hat on, people looked at me like, "Oh my God!" You know, and uh, and this guy, this 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 big old nasty-looking biker, said, "Hey, this guy's cool. He saved me. He saved me. He got me up home, and he grabbed me and he kissed me on the lips." <laughs> I, I was like, "Oh my God!" And then it. It turned out that I knew some of the people at the party. I stayed around for, I I was smart enough to not stay around for too long, and I left. But what I remember most about that evening, I didn't want to get involved. I didn't want to get involved. I didn't want to take him home because he was bleeding, right? I mean, that would have been the best reason to take him home. The guy was hurting, right? But I didn't want to get him, I didn't want him bleeding on my fancy little car. Right? Ah, jeez. And to this day, I feel convicted about that. You know? Moses wasn't that kind of guy. Uh, so, uh, here we have, uh, here we have Ruel, his, uh, uh, the girl's fathers, the daughter's fathers, his seven daughters. How does you come so soon today, he says. And have you ever noticed that men are built differently than girls? I hope you have. Uh, scripture tells us they're the weaker vessel. But I think that every man, married man here, as well as some of you have steady girlfriends, have, has reason to wonder about this so-called weakness. Okay? But it's true. We're built larger, uh, bigger, physically stronger, and able to work harder. i got to throw this in just because I love it so much. It scares me, but it's the truth. And to the man, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and you have eaten of the tree about which I commanded you, you saying, you shall not eat from it. Curse shall be the ground because of you in sorrow. You shall eat of it all the days of your life, and thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for, uh, for you. And you shall eat the plant of the field by, by the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread until you return to the ground, for out of it you have been taken. From, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Genesis three seventeen to 19 uh, In case anybody was wondering where the work harder part comes from. There you are. Uh, Rule noticed that that his uh, daughters had returned early. Uh, he also noticed. Uh, I also noticed that uh, 
role is going to be Jethro. You're going to refer to him as Jethro a little later on, chapter 3. And again in chapter 18, he's going to surface. It's interesting, I asked for this study. I didn't realize that role was Jethro. Uh, And I'm going to teach chapter 18 where Jethro gives advice to, to Moses. I had to ask myself, who is this priest of Midian? Who was he a priest of? Who was his God? Uh, as, though, as they're linked to Abraham through his son Midian, and through a little research, I was able it would seem logical in conclusion, the priest of Midian worshipped the one true God. Okay? And they said, in verse 19, An Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherds, and he also drew enough water for us and watered the flock. No doubt that the daughter of Rule will mistake Moses for an Egyptian. You know, uh, he, he wasn't that far removed from Egypt. Furthermore, the daughters told their father that the man had drawn enough water for the flock. So at 8.3 pounds per gallon, uh, that would have to have been considered a fair amount of work. Rule knew that. Uh, he must have been impressed. Verse 20. So he said to his uh, daughters, and where is he? Why is it that you have left the man? Call him that he may eat, eat bread. Uh, why have you left the man? Also, uh, he's prepared to show his gratitude with hospitality. Call him that he may eat bread. Bread among the Hebrews was also used to signify all kinds of food. So the statement could be seen as a way of saying that he may be entertained and refreshed. It wasn't, he wasn't just going to give him a slice of bread and uh, you know, jug of water. In verse 21, yeah, he was going to get fed well. Uh, he was going to get rewarded for doing such a good deed. Also, you've got to remember, Moses had to, had to run off the shepherds. You know, the gals were, you know, they were, they were uh, unescorted, it would appear. And they had no men to protect him. So these shepherds came along and just shoot them off. We're going to take their water. Uh, in, in verse 21, then Moses was content to live with the man. He gave Zipporah, his daughter, to Moses. I don't know what living arrangements Moses may have had uh, with rule slash Jethro, a.k.a. Jethro. At this time, we see Moses turning completely away from Egypt and his upbringing. From verse 11 to now, Moses' life has been transformed. In the first four verses that we studied, Moses has gone from royalty to outlaw that quick. I mean, he was, you know, living in the king's court, and all of a sudden he's running from the king's uh, uh, assassins. Along the way, he who was accustomed to being served to become a servant to the daughters of uh, rule when he served them by drawing water for their flocks. We know that Rule gave, him his, gave his daughter to him. This would indicate he was definitely included into the family. It should be noticed, though, that he's gone from a royal family to a priestly family. And this is of no small significance. Moses was being prepared by God for a role in history that can scarcely be understood. I'm still blown away by that. Uh, it's one of those ones that you just go, wow, how did he do it? Uh, his father-in-law was a priest. While much, not much is said about him, as I said earlier, it would appear that he did worship the God of the Bible. That was my, one of my first questions. Okay, he's a priest. What kind of priest? You know, 
witch doctor, you know. Uh, not much written about this, so I, I had a hard time finding stuff, but I'm convinced that he did worship the one true God. Uh, this is a portion of a study that I read. It is now clear that Jethro was the priest of deity El, whose name was isolated, a new name taken up as Yahweh by Moses. Jethro is not a pagan priest, but the priest of the deity whose ancestors of Moses worshipped. This patron deity is now revealed to Moses as Yahweh. He is who he is, he is, he was who he was, and he is who he is to be. This solves the problem of the patriarchs who worship their God in different names with the prefix El. For example, El Shaddai, Elion, El Roy is amplified with the new name Yahweh, who exercised his greatness in the mighty work of Exodus. Jethro is the priest of Yahweh, who is God of the universe. So Moses had been prepared for his ministry by receiving a heart for his people and a royal education. And it would appear that he had also been, according to Josephus, a man of war. He had led the armies of Egypt. Uh, and he also had a royal education. I mean, like, you know, this guy had been to college with a master's and a Ph.D., and now he would spend 40 years with Rule, who was the priest of Midian, and who we might speculate with from everything I could discover, worships the one true God. So this is pretty much going to complete his training. He's got the worldly part of his training down pretty good. Uh, he's got the education, he's a warrior, but now he's going to learn who God is, and he's going to live in a godly household. In verse 22, going back to Zipporah, and she bore him a son. He called his name Gershom, for he said, I've been a stranger in a foreign land. Rule then has, been, has received a son-in-law and a grandson from Moses, and naming him his son, he has once, in naming his son, he's once again shown he has a heart for his people. I have been a stranger in a foreign land. Verse 23. Now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. Then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage. And they cried out. And their cry came up to God because of the bondage. In one sentence, it appears that Moses is free of his charges. Uh, now it happened in the process of time the king of Egypt died. Uh, it, it has to be that he feels free of the death sentence that Pharaoh had imposed upon him because he seems free to address Pharaoh as this book goes on, as we study more. He gets face to face with Pharaoh. Also, the children of Israel groaned and they cried out. Uh, never think for a moment that when we're in distress... When we're in need, when we cry out that God isn't listening, God's always listening to us. And he knows our pain. For sure, Jesus knows our pain. He took on one of these. Why you would want to take on one of these, I don't know. But he did. And so when I say I have a backache and I pray to Jesus, Jesus knows my backache because his was filleted open when he went to the cross. When I say my muscles hurt, he knows what my muscles hurt. And when I say I'm sorrowful, he wept over Egypt. He wept over Lazarus. He knows me. He knows all of us. Uh, 
Verse 24, so God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. The people of Israel belong to God. Exodus, we're going to see this up the road a little way. 6, verse 7, I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptian, Egyptians. God does not abandon his people or forget his promises to them. God has absolute love and his love and caring for his people of Israel then or in the present ages without question, without question. Remember, too, that we're God's people. We're God's people. Uh, and he hears us as well. And saying that God remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob made me think, did he forget? Uh, he never forgot. It would indicate that he turned his active attention to them. Uh, but they needed a leader and God provided them with Moses, uh, a man who had been prepared for God by God for this ministry. This wasn't something that just happened. Uh, it took a long time. Moses was 40 years in the Egyptian courts and then 40 years with uh, Jethro. He was 80 years old at this time. He wasn't a kid anymore. Of all the tools of leadership that Moses needed, they were all given to him by God. Worldly education, spiritual education, a heart for, for his people, they were all his. He had those already. Faith as ever has played a huge role in Moses' life. I'm going to read from Hebrews 11, verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child, and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ's greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith he forsake, forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for which he, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. The legacy of faithfulness continues after Moses is gone. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she received the spies with peace. Uh, I've been to Israel, been to Israel a couple times. Uh, this country and its people are the legacy of Moses. They are. From way back when to now, 2016. It's really hard to, uh, to take in the impact of this. These are amazing people. Uh, they are descendants of the people that Moses led. They are God's chosen people. It's impossible to look at the book of Exodus without seeing modern Israel uh, as the logical progression of what God has ordained, is ordaining now. The story's not over. The story's not over. It's still happening. How is it that Jethro's name became Jethro? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's just all of a sudden he was ruled, and then he was Jethro in chapter 3, and then in chapter 18 he's still Jethro. This is the only time they call him rule. This happens in the Bible that people are uh, referred to by different names, but it's very clear who they are. 
Uh, there's no mistake in them. Uh, uh, the character of these people is undeniable, okay? That, like, we, were, we were walking down the street in Israel. I see this, this guy with uh, shorts on and flip-flops and a T-shirt. He's got a yarmulke on, and he's pushing a, 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 a car- uh, like a shopping cart full of groceries, and his wife's got a baby carriage, and there's a couple of kids running around. And they looked as normal as, I mean, you could see them anywhere in this country. The only difference was that he had an AK-47 across his back. You know? Yeah. Yeah. They're packing. Exactly. Exactly. They're ready. They're ready. Uh, these people are not exactly like normal people. And, uh, and our, our tour guide, this guy, Amir, at one point, you know, he was funny. He was joked, told a lot of jokes and stuff. But at one point he said, he said, I'm fully prepared to lose my life for my country. Okay, a lot of us are too. He said, I'm also fully prepared to lose my wife and my children and my home. I'm prepared for them. This is a small country. They're surrounded by enemies. They don't, uh, they don't think like, you know, I mean, we're separated. We know we've got the East Coast, the West Coast. We've got friends to the north of us, you know. The people in the South like us so much they can't stop from coming here. Uh, but this country... Is, uh, is, is isolated. They aren't. And these people are ready. These people are ready. They're tough. They have a toughness about them, and you can feel it. Uh, I went to our, uh, my last tour guide and told him I lost my, my headset. He went, so? <laughs> I thought he'd be sympathetic. He'd help me find it or something. So? Yeah. Okay, last verse, you guys. New King James. And God looked upon the uh, children of Israel, and God acknowledged them. Now in the King James it says, And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect unto them. The word know in the word acknowledge in the Hebrew Bible and the Greek Testament has a sense of approving. So as we see in the old King James, God respected the cries of, of Israel. They're his people. They're always going to be his people. So, how significant, how significant are the words we just read? We've seen that the life of Moses go from infancy to 40 years of age, and at the time God's preparing him, task of leading his people, equipped with the best schoolroom education money could buy, temp- tested in the combat, of, uh, combat classroom of war. Oh, it's not mentioned. That isn't mentioned in Scripture. It's mentioned in Jewish history. And living 40 years with a priestly family, God's prepared him for a future he could never imagine. The task before him, before him was unimaginably difficult, but God knew this, and I have to think that the reason for the success was of Moses because God knew exactly what he would be facing and prepared him completely. God was not going to throw him into the river without teaching him to swim. So it is with us. Uh, so much of what we do is a mystery to us. So much, you know, why did I have three back surgeries last year? I don't know, but I'm probably going to find out. Why are we here at Calvary? Why are we here at Calvary Pasadena sitting under a senior pastor that loves God's word and works so hard to teach us, shows us how to read it and how to study it and how to, how to get something out of it? Why are we surrounded by servants of every size, shape, and color? The, the people around me are amazing. The people in this church are amazing. They're servants. There's so many servants here. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. Uh, they, I know they humble me. I know that. 
why do we go through our personal trials and struggles like we do? I don't know that either. Uh, but I know this. God will never throw any of us into the river before he teaches us how to swim. Okay? Isn't it cool when God stretches you? Lord, we come before you in Jesus' name. Lord, I, I ask you to stretch me. Just don't let me just uh, be satisfied with the status quo. Lord, bless us to move forward in our walk with you, Lord. Help us, Lord, to, to, to gain traction when we need it. When we're slipping, Lord, don't let us get out on that slippery slope. Grow us, Lord, and prepare us for the task at hand, the, the task that you've prepared for every one of us. Lord, bless us that we would be your people, not just say we are your people. Bless us that we would be faithful. Bless us that we would be the people of God that you've called us to be. We love you, Lord. We thank you for all you've given us, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys.